The 2021 Isaka Frost and Sullivan Survey at the Singapore Cybersecurity Landscape revealed that 63% of respondent organizations were adopting cloud more during the pandemic compared to prior years, that is. The same study noted that despite a general perception of cybersecurity improvements, senior management are still more concerned with cyber risk issues. One year on, how have things changed? With us today in Podchats for Future CISO are Richard Wong, Senior Vice President, Global Head of Security Advisory at Frost and & Sullivan, and Mr. Stephen Sim, President of ISACA Singapore Chapter, to reveal to us the findings of this year's survey. Richard, Stephen, welcome to Podchats for Future CISO. Thank you for having me. Now, Stephen, let's start off with you. Give us a background of the collaboration between ISACA Singapore and Frost & Sullivan. I first known Kenny Yeo from Frost & Sullivan when Frost & Sullivan invited me as part of the uh, Isaka Singapore Exco to be on their judging panel for um, Frost & Sullivan Awards for many of the products out there, cybersecurity products. Those were the earlier years of uh, 2017 to 2018. So during that period, I discussed the idea of having a Singapore-centric Isaka membership-wide cybersecurity landscape research in 2019 with Kenny, uh, where we further discussed about um, possible areas of collaboration between Isaka Singapore Chapter and Force and Sullivan. So at the time, there was no lack of global research, but seemingly a drought on uh, Singapore-based research. So in this year, in 2022, is now the fourth year running where we have collaborated between the chapter and Force and Sullivan on this research, and members have benefited from it, they use it for reference, they use it to um, determine what is their subsequent work plan and budget for it. So our third year of research last year, in fact, also caught the attention of counterparts in Isaka Malaysia chapter. So I also helped bridge that collaboration between Isaka Malaysia and uh, Foster Sullivan. And uh, in fact, I believe they have re- recently just uh, released their inaugural Malaysia-centric Isaka chapter research as well. Okay, and it would be good to see the comparison between both, but not for this uh, discussion anyway. Uh, if I could ask um, Richard, from your perspective, what are the specifications of this survey and the type of respondents uh, that Stephen alluded to? Yeah, so for this year's survey, uh, in terms of the profile, is relatively similar to what we have seen in uh, last year's responses. Uh, for this year, we actually achieved about 134 respondents uh, from many of the larger enterprises in Singapore. So all of them were our ISACA members. Yeah, uh, majority of these uh, respondents were actually from the key decision makers, people really more at a senior and experienced level. And uh, they really know what is uh, some of the issues and challenges and what are the trends that they are looking at within the cybersecurity space. In terms of profile, I think uh, most of them were actually from the cybersecurity as well as the audit. Now, if I could ask both of you, what would you say are the top trends today as Singapore moves post-pandemic? Perhaps, uh, Stephen, if I could start with you. In terms of the cyber trends itself, uh, I believe I can speak on behalf of the other practicing CISOs as well, that the trends in terms of the key challenges are also well mirrored in the ISACA Global Surveys, the Digital Trust Surveys, as well as the Singapore Survey we are talking about right now. The, um, there's a trend for an increase in the software supply chain risk. It is uh, still impacting um, digital trust 
Uh, if you look at some of the incidents that we have seen in the news itself, uh, supply chain being attacked, and the latest one, right, is with Telstra, a third-party provider, falling prey as a result employees' information, Telstra employees' information were uh, being leaked out. Um, not to mention the usual attack patterns of unwary insiders falling prey to phishing, uh, business email compromise. And in more recent areas, the trend in terms of uh, attackers targeting multi-factor authentication with multi-factor authentication fatigue attacks. And that has become focal point for many organizations to tweak their phishing simulation exercises towards attempts to exploit, to steal that second factor, right? Whether it's push notification or is it OTP. And ransomware, while slowing down in recent quarters, are still occurring with uh, increased sophistication, not only to triple extortion, but also to quadruple extortion techniques that are exploiting the trust relationship between clientels and uh, suppliers to attack enterprises. So as we accelerate towards digital transformation post-COVID, right? In fact, during COVID itself, we have really accelerated that digital journey so as we accelerate towards digital transformation industry 4.4.0 web 3.0 where more types of equipment ot iot gets interconnected and we're all talking about ai blockchain attack services have increased as well as post-quantum there has been uh, some of the topics that are foreseeably uh, notable in terms of uh, areas we wanted to uh, focus more attention on, at least keep them in our view. And uh, resilience by, by design definitely would, would, I think, would take uh, more center stage with the pictures coming out fast and furious in recent months. Ever more important to understand the inevitability of a breach, importance of disrupting attacks despite having a breach to protect business interests and the need to optimize uh, risk focusing on resiliency measures. Thanks, Stephen. Richard, if I could ask you to say, you're part of a global team at Frost & Sullivan. Are Singapore enterprises more at risk this year compared to previous years? Is Singapore on par with the rest of the world when it comes to you know, the, the risk that organizations face? We are not on par per se for two very simple reasons. Uh, because when you look at it globally, right, risk is inherently tied to how digitalized you are. Right. So in some countries which are less developed from a infrastructure perspective, they still have very rudimentary, uh, kind of like infrastructure. It doesn't mean that they are not, they cannot be hacked. But more importantly is that they may not necessarily have all their critical assets or data, digital assets online. So from a risk perspective, maybe, you know, that is actually a bit uh, reduced. Uh, but if you look at Singapore itself, right, as compared to the previous year, we are definitely more at risk. Because if you really think about the trends, which I think uh, Stephen have actually alluded to earlier on, you know, he talked about the attack surface of uh, enterprises which have expanded significantly over time. And this is not something that just happened because of the pandemic, right? This is something that uh, as an organization embarked on this uh, digitalization journey, you know, more and more devices get connected and that's where that kind of uh, risk increase where all these uh, devices could potentially uh, attacked or could be hacked. When you look at uh, all these kind of uh, uh, situations or trends that's happening around the world and uh, of course within Singapore itself, that risk factor would definitely increase. Now from our survey, uh, the percentage of uh, enterprises who are at risk actually increased by 2% over the previous year, uh, over the 2021 uh, results. 
that's not actually significantly a lot. But what is really more worrying, at least from Frost and Sullivan's perspective, right, is that many of these enterprises, when we actually surveyed them, they do not know that they have even been breached. And why? That's because they did not do any security testing, assessments, or monitoring. And literally within the survey result itself, they say they do not know. When you think about it, that, that is a definitely a critical concern. And uh, as, as uh, to formulate a kind of a strategy, is very important for that uh, education process, not only just targeting the cybersecurity professionals, but also even at the senior executive level. Yeah. Uh, imagine even at the, any level within the organization. Now, Stephen, yeah, okay, okay, Stephen, you're a practicing CSO and you've been through all these exercises with your own organizations for several years. What would you say are your top recommendations to go past the risks that you mentioned, uh, as you and Richard mentioned? And how do we deal with one of the areas that you particularly alluded to, supply chain attacks? That's a great question. And uh, what Richard has uh, shared and alluded to uh, really resonates. Indeed, I think I would recommend putting in place a strong risk governance framework and for it to be backed by a risk-based and not just a blind compliance-based culture. As what Richard put it, it's really about risk governance uh, aspects of it. And when we talk about governance, it's about realizing business benefits, right? While optimizing risk and resources. The example that Richard gave about some of the nations that is not as uh, advanced, they have other priorities in mind, mm-hmm. then their risk appetite may be um, lower and therefore they put in like maybe lesser controls but commensurating with that kind of risk appetite they can tolerate. Um, ultimately, we cannot run away from the need to identify crown jewels, perform business impact analysis, conduct threat modeling exercises, performing control gap analysis and coming up with prioritized set of long-term and short-term projects that really cuts across people. Um, earlier on, we were talking about awareness at the board as well as at all levels and spectrums of the community and the employees and so forth. Also the processes and technology and to allow the enterprise risk appetite to be met. Very importantly, the right technology and the right processes. If it is in the hands of ill-trained people, we will not be able to optimize the usage. A very crude illustration is a cutting-edge firewall with no rules put in place. So the CSA or the Cybersecurity Agency of Singapore recognizes uh, the importance of uh, having the right people. And in the new CCOP 2.0 or Cybersecurity Code Practice 2.0, in fact, it spelled out the need for risk assessments and audits to be supervised by personnel with the right certifications. The examples of ISACA's uh, series, which is our flagship risk management certification, as well as CISA, CISA, our flagship audit certification, were actually given and listed inside the CCOP itself. And all these controls have to be extended to the supply chain, identifying the S-bomb or software view of materials, and even the C-bomb, right, cybersecurity view of materials that was in the US as a orders and so forth. Identifying potential concentration risks um, during trap modeling and adopting a resilience by design approach on the supply chain is important. Earlier I mentioned about so many supply chain attacks happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, the case with the Telstra is just one good example. We need to enforce more oversight in terms of the security of our suppliers. Uh, this includes understanding the suppliers, uh, MTTD or the mean time to detect uh, compromises in the environment and the MTTR, the mean time to respond to incidents and also recovery. That becomes uh, absolutely important to us. Richard, from your end, any final recommendations to our readers around this? I think uh, just uh, leveraging on what Stephen uh, talked about, the various uh, 
kind of like a cybersecurity initiatives that have been undertaken both in Singapore as well as around the world, right? At the end of the day, it's really about, it's a very holistic and uh, continuous process. So at the core of it, if you really think about it, the, the biggest risk is from the people because we are prone to making mistakes, right? Yeah. You know? So hence, uh, education, educating your end users and uh, more importantly, the senior executives as what I mentioned about in the boardroom is very critical. And you really need to use that kind of uh, conversations at the business level, right? Business talk to ease their understanding and uh, really to get their buy-in on uh, what we need to do. So that is really at the, more of the software aspect for them, uh, enterprises. But uh, when it boils down to the devices and the network, I think many professionals out there, you know, they know what to do. Yeah, but, you know, it's really no longer a case of that plug and play and forget like the olden days we can just uh, put a device and then that's it right so wherever possible every device needs to be protected and monitored steven also talked about the vulnerability assessments using the appropriate control frameworks to make sure that everything is uh, done up in accordance to the standards you know you follow the best practices out there that is already set in the industry itself the last point that i think would probably be very helpful is that if you really think about it we are in a, a bit of a cat and mouse game you know where intelligence and information is very key uh, I like to liken it to the James Bond type of movies right where espionage is always a conducted so in those type of uh, scenarios having the right kind of intelligence and knowing how to use them appropriately would be very very critical so I think as a recommendation that is probably one of the key things uh, that some of our readers can actually take away you know at the enterprise level you really need a roadmap you need to identify your gaps and you know you need to plug them over time so I hope uh, those will really be useful for uh, our readers out there. Sounds like the list is getting longer and longer. Stephen, what about <laughs> in your case? <laughs> any, any last yeah. words to offer? Yeah, I fully agree with Richard. Risk communication is actually key. In fact, in the COVID framework itself, we talk about the importance of aligning business risks or enterprise risks to yeah. uh, for IT risks and operational risks to align upwards to the enterprise risks, right? So that we can tell and we help our management make a well-informed decision to how much is enough when we ask for budget. They have the assurance that uh, how does that relate to resolving some of the business risks, causing business outages and so forth. So that risk communication at the business level is absolutely important. So I fully concur with uh, Richard on that. And I feel that we are really, truly only as strong as our ecosystem. That's what uh, Richard alluded to, uh, the intelligence is important. And we always say that attacks are asymmetric. And really to be able to tip the scales of asymmetry uh, against these hackers, we, we need to share threat intelligence, best practices, and cross-pollinate ideas and thought leadership like what this problem is about. So by sharing the tactics of hackers fast enough and allowing enterprises around the world to defense, defend against the same tactics, uh, it will render those tactics, maybe the hacker used uh, uh, one week to come up with a tactic, useless. And then now he has to go and figure out another one. So that results in additional effort on the side of hackers and that is how we can dig the scales of the symmetry. Therefore, joining communities like ISACA and the ISACs Information Sharing and Analysis Centers truly help to foster best practices in risk governance and optimizing them. So fostering not just the right levels of protection such as zero trust, and uh, but because breaches are inevitable, uh, this is one part of the education that is important to uh, senior management. I mean, educating them about the threat landscape out there and how we benchmark against uh, other companies and industries. Um, to be able to ingest that uh, tiny threat intelligence that Richard spoke about uh, beyond 
simply indicators or compromise or, or IOCs and into the TTPs, authentics, techniques and procedures. In fact, this is so well recognized that recently Signware, which is a threat intelligence platform, have came up with a solution, a repository for companies to exchange in a safe harbor manner some of these uh, solutions, tools and uh, tactics and techniques that can cross-track hunt and things like that. So th- uh, I'm actually uh, looking at that uh, with a lot of interest. Talking about all this is because enterprises with their threat intelligence can then detect fast through threat hunts, uh, respond and contain fast to disrupt the hackers and also recover fast uh, with sound business continuity and resiliency plans. And that is where I think we need to really focus on resilience by design, which was the um, slogan of our um, GTEx 2022. Resilience by design. That's a great one. Richard, uh, Stephen, thank you for joining us on Podcast for Future CISO. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for having me. That concludes our podcast for future CISO on the topic of calibrating cybersecurity preparedness for 2023 with Richard Wong, Senior Vice President, Global Head at Security Advisory at Frost & Salmon, and Stephen Sim, President of ISACA Singapore Chapter. You are listening into podcast for future CISO. As always, if you have a topic you'd like us to cover on this channel, simply email us at editors at society.com. We'd also like to invite you to sign up for a free weekly newsletter so you won't miss an episode of Podcasts for Future CISO. In the meantime, stay safe, have a great day, and see you on the next episode of Podcasts for Future CISO. Bye for now.